feel like the twentieth episode, yeah, some thought, deliberation. It'll be slower. We'll think about it more. We'll have a couple extra topics. Maybe we'll hug. Uh huh. Or not. Whatever. Fuck you. I don't want to hug you anyways. We haven't exactly had a huge amount of deliberation over any of our episodes. That's true. Well, I don't want to do a disservice to what we've become as a podcast duo. Yeah, that was golden. I love I it. I like simplicity and I like it to be very couples. clean. All acted very simple. The matching couples. Oh my lord. I hate the matching couples. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm attracted to normal looking women. Right, but that's not accurate. You have weird tastes. Those are all things that most of us could really improve on. It's gonna, it's gonna vary wildly, if anyone listens at all. That's what I call interesting. No real substance? That's super interesting. Fascinating, almost. Welcome to While We're on the Subject, where we talk about what we talk about. Now, here's the show. Hey, John. Hi, Mike. So, what's on your mind this week? I've been thinking, as always, about genetic engineering a little bit more, and I just wanted to follow up on an aspect of the power of genetic engineering that uh-huh. I once again neglected in our previous conversation. There's always going to be something, I'm sure. I mean, it's such yeah. a huge topic that it almost seems impossible to me. Yeah, we're probably going to entire podcast dedicated literally to literally talk about this in ten hundred thousand more episodes, guys. Oh yeah, it's going to continue. Yeah. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. But welcome to the future. Just yeah, deal with it. it's it's the most fascinating topic I think we can talk about. All right, so shoot. One of the things that has been this huge development in the last twenty years that has allowed for a lot of this genetic engineering potential to be unlocked is gene processing, right? Like Mm -hmm. the decoding of the human genome and like parsing all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And one aspect of this is like essentially what that meant is we could read DNA. Right. And DNA, for those who aren't aware, is like a long code. So if you think about it, that it has like four bases that can be put in any order, right? And when you put them in different orders, it changes your genetics. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about it, from that perspective, you have what is essentially a four-letter alphabet. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it has been shown that we can do is we can actually program DNA in such a way that we can encode data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have hard drives. Everybody knows what a hard drive is. And we essentially record data on a hard drive in zeros and ones in you know binary. And we can record digital data that way. But one of the things that people have pointed out as a serious issue with our hard drives is that as our data continues to explode, the quantity of it, and as hard drives take up more and more space and take up more and more resources to produce, they are not particularly dense and they're not particularly energy efficient. Like we're still in the infancy of figuring out how to do something like a DNA drive where we would store a huge amount of data on dna but dna is so much denser uh-huh. and it's hard to know how much energy it would take to write it and read it in 20 years once we develop this technology somewhat more but uh-huh. you could have the entire data stored today in like a giant warehouse server farm you could have all of that in the size of like a shoebox if you programmed it onto dna Right, huh. like DNA is the densest way of storing information that we've ever contemplated, uh-huh. and so this is one of again those kind of side things that I don't think we necessarily think about right. in terms of genetic engineering. Where like you're not even talking about creating life; you're just talking about 
utilizing the tools that biology creates. Uh-huh. And these are tools that we've never been able to manipulate before, and they offer a huge amount of potential. Wow. That's actually pretty neat. Yeah. I'd like to know more about that. I wonder who made that connection and was like, ah, we could just store all this information in DNA. Yeah, well, I've read about it a few times over the last couple years Uh in The Economist and in some other periodicals that I read, like Wired Uh or Fast Company also, I think, also had an article at some point. But yeah, like it's still so much in its infancy that it's not necessarily the most talked about thing because right now like it's not even possible like making a hard drive one terabyte hard drive of dna would be one extraordinarily expensive today and two not particularly feasible from a speed perspective like it would Mm -hmm. take so long to read it and write it that you know it wouldn't be possible oh there was another benefit of using dna as data storage that i hadn't brought up and that is essentially that dna can last an extraordinary amount of time without degrading and so you look at books, some books will last a thousand years if you like really preserve them, right? Mm-hmm. You look at tape hard drives, they'll last perhaps decades. You look at solid state drives, they'll last decades maybe. But DNA has been found to last hundreds of thousands of years in some cases. Not all the time. Right. Not consistently, but... The possibilities are right. Yeah, like if we preserved it, it would easily last for 10,000 years. And so... Not only does it store stuff much more consistently and last much longer, but it's much denser and it's potentially just a huge, huge advance. That's pretty fascinating. Of course, it was pointed out. There's a book that I'm reading, Megatech 2050, which mm-hmm. was written by a number of different people who have different kind of specialties in different areas of technology. And it's all about future technology that may be developed in the next several decades. And one of the things that they do talk about in that when they're talking about DNA hard drives is the fact that making even a small DNA hard drive would require more DNA writing capacity than the entire world's demand right now. Like Uh right now, people use DNA reading for like 23andMe to read their own genomes and things like that. And that's gotten dramatically cheaper Uh at a rate much faster even than Moore's Law with computer processing. But Uh it's still so small and so few people do it and reading a genome is so much easier than writing like a genetic hard drive that right. this is this is a long long way off like demand would have to grow enormously in order to develop the technology and uh-huh. capacity to allow this to be actually feasible in any real sense but yeah i like to think about this sort of thing because even as people talk about the end of moore's law and certain technologies running their course right i think it's important to remember that there is a huge depth of potential advancement that is still possible that we haven't reached. Like it's hard to foresee where the advances will come from. And there is still a whole lot that we can advance on. But with things like this specifically, because you're talking about the lack of demand in it, do you think that some ideas that are probably useful, you know, like for example, the DNA hard drive, Mm -hmm. if there isn't a large enough demand, like something like that, does it become less feasible? Is it less likely to happen if people aren't invested in something like this, right? Because there won't be, if there's no demand for it. Right, there won't be the investment. Right. Yeah, I I think that's a very real concern with a lot of technologies. Mm -hmm. Because there are lots of things that could be quite valuable if they got to a certain point. But it would take billions of dollars to get them to that point. Right. And so it just doesn't happen. But I think 
So would we have to find ways to create demand? Well, I don't I don't think we need to find artificial ways to create demand for this because I think the prospect and potential value of things like genetic engineering and like genomics and, and studying our personal genomes in order for uh-huh. medical advances and things like that. Like I think the potential for all of that stuff will create a huge swell in demand for this sort of thing. Okay. Like I think it will become in 10 years routine for just as you might get a blood test to get a DNA test and have them run your genome when you okay. go into the doctor or something like that. So it's just something that you believe is going to grow organically and eventually get to the point where we store information. And yeah, I think it will grow in a, a similar way to semiconductor and computer industries okay. where like nobody was planning on making cell phones or smartphones in the 1980s when they were investing in computers. Right. But computers had so many advantages in so many other areas that it eventually drove us to the point where we could miniaturize and accelerate them to the point where we could have things like iPhones and Mm -hmm. Samsung and what have you. Gotcha. I think the other aspects of that industry with genetics will push it forward, whether or not DNA hard drives are like DNA hard drives are not going to be a thing that we see in the near future. And it's not going to be this kind of thing that we are investing to get to, but it might be a side effect of right. the general deepening of that industry. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. And I mean, because there are still lots of things within biology and this actually brings me to another thing that I want uh-huh. to mention. There are lots of things in biology that are not well understood at all. Right. For instance, as we were talking about, these giant server farms, they take an enormous amount of energy. Like mm-hmm. you have these Bitcoin farms that have been placed up in like Norway and Sweden because mm-hmm. it's so cool up there mm-hmm. that all they need to do is put in big fans to cool the servers rather mm-hmm. than have built-in liquid cooling and air conditioning right. and everything to keep them. And so it saves them so much in energy that it becomes cost-effective to just have them way out in the wilderness in the northern snows of Scandinavia. And... Mm-hmm. Something that's interesting that a lot of people don't realize is that our brains, while they might not be as high-powered as you know a giant server farm, if you mm-hmm. combine all the computing power, they use energy extraordinarily efficiently. Mm-hmm. And so like we use, I forget what it is, but it's something like 10 watts or something is what our brains use. Mm-hmm. And like even really weak computers use dramatically more. Like it's something like, a computer will use a thousand or ten thousand ten thousand times more energy to process mm-hmm. the same levels of information. Ah. That sort of efficiency has come out of biology. We don't understand how it's possible. We don't understand right. how it works. But it does. And those are the sorts of things that we could break through into understanding in coming decades. And it reminds me, as I think about the history of science, I, I really think that it's gone in this kind of slow progression uh-huh. where like, and this is something that came to me a few weeks ago as I was reading book, Megatech book that I've mentioned. Right. And it's that like, I feel like the 19th century or the 1800s, right. Right. Was when chemistry really came into its own. Like uh-huh. if you look at the economics around chemistry and like chemicals companies and things like that, right. They developed hugely in the 1800s, first in England and then in Germany and then uh-huh. in the U S and around the world. And we really, through a series of advancements, unlocked complete understanding and ability to manipulate chemicals, like simple chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the 20th century, starting 
at the beginning of the century with quantum mechanics and then going into you know relativity with Einstein and then uh-huh. advancing all the way up through a lot of Stephen Hawking stuff and black holes and all of that. Right. The 20th century was this huge refinement and simplification and unification of physics, mm-hmm. right? Like it brought us to the point where we pretty much understand almost all of the fundamental forces and like kind of bounds of physics. Right. But something that I didn't understand until much more recently is that I think the 21st century will really be where we have this for biology, right? Like I always thought as a child that biology was just the simplest and most boring of the sciences uh-huh. because it right. essentially high school biology was like yeah. categorizing and cataloging different creatures. Right. Yeah. You're learning like kingdoms, phylums, species, uh-huh. all of that. That's fine, but that's not really what matters in biology. And even when we learned like right. cell biology and we learned about mitosis and meiosis and all of that, like that's not really biology. Biology is really genetics and how mm. genetics functions and how we can manipulate genetics for the creation of different materials. Like I've been reading things about how like essentially, and this is not a, a, a super new thing, but it's using plants and using microbes to produce compounds and materials that we need, right? Uh-huh. So one of the things is I've been looking more and more into solar power uh-huh. and just energy systems around the world generally is that people want to find sustainable ways for energy, obviously, right. and they want to find ways of energy storage for solar. They don't have a lot of ways to store energy efficiently with solar. And one of the things that they've talked about in terms of long-term storage is using microbes to produce methane. Mm. Well, essentially what you're doing with microbes to produce methane is you're using an organic factory, right? These microbes are organic right? and they're producing a material that you need. Mm -hmm. That's essentially turning this energy and CO2 into Mm -hmm. this resource. And what you are, I think will be seen as increasingly over the course of the 21st century is us unlocking different aspects of biology to use them for the manufacture of materials and buildings and products. And in the same way that we used chemicals to do it in the 19th century, and Mm -hmm. we figured out the fundamental physics around quantum mechanics and electricity in order to produce all of the electronics that we produced in the 20th century. Right. I think the 21st century, we will do all of that in the same way with biology. And more and more of our goods will be biological in nature, and Mm -hmm. we will move away from things like plastics. Right. And move toward things. I mean, plastics are already kind of quasi- biological right they're right. carbon based mm-hmm. but i think we will increasingly move down that path to have things more like wood but mm-hmm. we will perhaps make buildings of wood but it will be reinforced wood it will be genetically modified wood it will be wood that has all of the advantages that we wanted to have and none of the defects right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think there's a lot more potential for the advancement of materials and a whole bunch of that stuff within biology that I never really foresaw as a child or a student in biology. Like, that wasn't the sort of thing that we learned about, you know what I mean? I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff. I could see how maybe it wouldn't come up in a lecture. True. It's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit more advanced than, yeah, high school. I assume that any person that, besides individuals like yourself, would go out of your way to learn about these things. For the only people talking about these kind of advances are biologists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. John yeah, we're biologist. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I guess those guys too. You're right. And so much of this stuff is still so much in, in its infancy and kind of mm-hmm. on the fringe right. that it's not going to be mainstream, like manufacturing things with biological systems yet. It's not the kind of thing that we understand really Mm. but as people move towards things like clean meat and growing like meat and stuff in labs and growing organs in labs or growing organs in pigs for transplant and things like that Uh these things will gradually be unlocked first in the highest demand most important aspects of society but they will eventually spread and take over everything right well here's to hoping we see something really neat in our lifetimes yeah Okay, Mike, so you finally are joining me with being annoyed about things. You have a peeve today. What are you annoyed with? Honestly, I don't know what ignited it. Okay. But this whole, like, national whatever day, like, it doesn't matter what day it is. It's just okay. national this. I don't know why it annoys me, right? But I just don't understand why every day has to be some significant day. Sure, like the whole national talk like a pirate day. Or what yeah, or... It always seems to come up and people are always bringing it up yeah. for some reason. Yeah, like it just comes up, oh, today's National Donut Day. Are you going to get donuts? Like, no, no, I'm not. I'm going to get donuts when I want donuts. Not just because some stupid thing on the internet says that today is the day that we have to have donuts. Do you have any concept about like how these became things? Because they they're not no government idea. sanctioned, are they? No, it's just... Someone posts it somewhere and everyone just agrees and they talk about it outside of the context of the internet and they try to bring it into the real world like it matters, but it doesn't matter. You people need to focus on something else. Well, because there are like real days, aren't there? There's like Cancer Awareness Day or something. Yeah, that sounds valuable. Yeah. Let's talk about cancer. Let's do something to fight that. I'm for that. Sure. I'm sure days like that are put together and organized by legitimate groups it does definitely seem like a marketing kind of thing though yeah i don't know who comes up with these i don't know where they come from and really i don't care like national pie day i get it march 14th 3.14 i don't think that's national pie day i think that's just pie day whatever i don't know like it's pie day around the world my friend yeah whatever i don't know that one counts sure you know Same it's with legitimate. mole day is great sure that too i didn't know what you i didn't hear you mole day mole 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 like yeah. the creatures the subterranean like the number of atoms in a gram oh that's legit too sure i mean i don't hear people talking about that one but i think it's june 2nd it's a chemistry thing but i think pi day and mole day were both kind of created as like teaching tools to help students remember yeah that's cool you know like i just think that there's you know a point to that there's some relevance but i don't know just like people brought up like oh today's national sibling days like a week ago or two weeks ago i'm like what like that doesn't you celebrate them on their birthday or something you don't need a national sibling to acknowledge people that you grew up with and love yeah when we first started making these podcasts i was listening to several podcasts about making podcasts to try to like figure out some of right. the things that we needed to figure out uh-huh. and one of them i think was talking about how there was like national podcasting day or something and yeah <laughs> I, I definitely was like what yeah that's just moronic like this is you're right all of this does seem just completely pointless and when you have the proliferation like this it just devalues the whole concept like it makes it all just stupid right i just don't understand where where this like concept came from where any day has to be national anything day as if that thing matters because hmm. a lot of the time it seems they don't it's just something i've noticed yeah and it'll just be like oh today's I don't know, National 
kick a kid while they're on the ground day. I don't just it just seems ridiculous. <laughs> it just gets it's um, silly and then I hear ones and they just sound sillier and I'm just like just becoming this weirder I'm I'm with you. It is a little bit annoying. And I think what bothers me about it is that it has this like weird aura of officialdom. Right. Like it's a real thing, but it's such a stupid, silly thing and I feel like it almost should be funny, but it's just annoying. I think it would be kind of funny, like, oh, it's National Etc. Day, if no one acknowledged it. Yeah, if it was just like a joke. It's, yeah. yeah. But just but when I hear people acknowledge it as if it's like some official, legitimate day, I'm just like, no, it's mm. not that. It's Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. It's not Hug a Duck Day. Yeah. I do remember, I think, was it National Donut Day a few years ago? I remember this thing about Krispy Kreme giving away free donuts on National Donut Day or something. Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. But yeah, the whole, the whole like thing is just a marketing ploy. strange, like, pointless yeah, exercise. Just, I do have a question, happening. though, because you grew up Catholic, right? No. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm... <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't know anything about this. Wow, that's really racist of you, John. <laughs> fine. I don't know. Like, Hispanic people I know grew up Catholic. That's pretty universal. Yeah, I already said it, people. Protest him. It is what it is, you know? Like... <laughs> What do you want from me? You know, if you were an Arab, I would think you grew up Muslim. Like, that seems reasonable. No but shame. One of the things that I stumbled across when I moved to France back in 2011 uh-huh. was that there are a lot more days for saints than I realized as oh. a Protestant American growing up. Right. And one of them is called Toussaint or like All Saints Day, which is oh, like I've heard of that one. of the saints, I guess. But it yeah. seemed like almost every day was named for a different saint. And first of all, I didn't realize there were that many saints oh, back when I was a kid. Anyone could have been a saint back then. Like they, Seriously. You could attribute some weird nonsense phenomenon to them as a miracle after they died, and you're like, oh, they were a saint. People were a lot more <laughs> yeah. superstitious back then, too. True. Miracles were much more common when everyone believed in yeah. ghosts. Something that I don't understand and I never understood was, like, how does a saint get a day? Do all saints have days? How many oh. saints are there? How many days do saints have? I'm, I'm very confused about this entire... Yeah day saint interaction process to be fair i don't understand the concept of saints at all well i think they're just holy people right but people have like idols of them and they like pray to them or pray with them or they're just like hey you know you're dead can you talk to god for me i don't understand they're like weird middlemen yeah but the catholic church has a number of things like that although saints are also recognized by some protestant denominations i believe but sure. yeah, the Catholic Church has this whole thing about priests being intermediary, right? So oh, it makes sense sure. that saints would also be kind of an inter- intermediary kind of deal. Yeah, but that's just like, that's way too many layers to get to the one omniscient being. The big that's man. Supposed to be able to, yeah. Like, you know, someone who's supposed to be able yeah. to like know and hear and see everything. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the whole thing is a bit odd to me. I mean, and I guess saints generally had a certain thing that they healed for, a certain thing that they helped with. Right, yeah, so, looked over. But like I, mean, that, I guess you pray to them and then you'll get helped in that area. But as with so many things, when you're on the outside and it's not something that you are intimately interacting with, you might have a sense for it, but all of the intricacies yeah. are far beyond my grasp because it's just not yeah. something I've ever Yeah, and if with. we sound like we're being ignorant and you listener are very familiar with this and can explain it feel free to shoot us an email and tell us how ignorant we sound that's true yeah. Yeah. correct us feel please. free please yeah hello at subjectradio.com send it right on over or yeah. just add us on twitter yeah. at underscore wwts because you know we don't know 
and it seems a little silly. But I mean, I think this is a universal phenomenon, right? Like everyone is ignorant of most things. That's and fair. this sort of extremely, I guess it's not that intricate, but this kind of extremely kind of insider thing that's arcane and archaic uh-huh. it's, it's not the sort of thing that if we're not catholic we're ever going to deal with in, in yeah. enough of a way to understand like how does a saint become a saint i mean i know how a saint becomes a saint but right. like how does a saint then get a day like yeah that that whole thing yeah. is it is it like the day they died what if like six saints died on the same day do they have to share a day i think there are days that have multiple saints Dang. i'm not sure about this so yeah, I, I don't. It, I don't know. Does it work I, like about this. deities, where there's like major deities that get like their own special thing, and then like minor deities that have to share stuff? Obviously, I'm not comparing saints to deities. Just well, they do have magic powers or whatever. Yeah, but I don't really know how it works. But definitely, I mean, some saints' days are big, right? Like St. Patrick's Day and yeah. Valentine's Day and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, Valentine's Day is totally like a hallmark holiday, though. Sure, I'm not saying that it's a big holiday, but St. Valentine is a bigger person. I guess. Right? Hmm. Um, sure. like saint george's day is a bigger day like there are and like i also don't really understand what in the world is saint george's day just it's an english thing like oh, okay. i don't really understand a lot about saints generally for instance every country in europe seems to have a patron saint which huh. i guess just means it's a saint from that country but i don't understand why certain saints became patron saints and things like St. Patrick obviously has a lot of stuff with Ireland. It makes sense, I uh-huh. guess, that he brought Catholicism to Ireland. Right. And he baptized the first Irish people and built the yeah. first churches and, and what that's have legit. you. And drove out the snakes. Oh, well, that's important too. You know, I think that he drove out the snakes and dragons. I think dragons was a part of that. And what? seems to get ignored. He drove out dragons? But dragons are dope. They like shoot fire. <sighs> Whatever. Anyways, go on. <laughs> um, but... From other saints, I really don't have any kind of grasp about, like, why is St. George the patron saint of the UK? Mm. Or England, I guess. Why is St. Andrew the patron saint of Scotland? Like, I don't understand maybe, maybe any of that. did stuff. Similar yeah, to Yeah, I mean, I'm what... sure they did stuff. But there's so much, like, historical knowledge required and process knowledge required that I am not even close to. I'm sure if you Googled it, Wikipedia would tell you. Yeah, I'm not going to fall down that <laughs> Wikipedia bottomless pit. Figure out how St. George became famous. Yeah, that, that could probably go on for a few months. Yeah, that could take days. Yeah, we'll have a follow-up a year from now that's like, I know everything <laughs> about every one of them. Yeah, you, you go learn everything about this, Mike, and then we'll follow up about it sometime after you educate yourself. No, I don't really care enough. But I also have a peeve. Okay. I'm also mildly annoyed by something. I didn't really have anything, but as I thought about it, I was like, ah, I can kind of be annoyed about something. I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially, like, I've complained, I think, before about things closing too early. Like, when yes. I was in China, during the winter, all of the museums and national monuments and things seemed to close at, like, 3 or 4 p.m., which was bothersome. Mm-hmm. But here in Ireland, uh-huh. in Northern Europe, during the spring and summer, the days get very, very long. And their parks don't stay open late enough <laughs> it's annoying me mildly. okay so do you mean to say that they close before the sun goes down yes ah. more than an hour before the sun goes down hmm. like i was walking yesterday because also after sunset the day is still bright for quite a while when you're this far north the afternoon and evening stretches really really long at this point it's not dark until well after nine that is quite a long day you have there. Yeah, it is. And it starts, like, I think the sun comes up around 6. 
And so, yeah. like, it, yeah, it's, you know, not short. Right. But a lot of the parks around me close still at 8 p.m., and I was just on a walk the other day and tried to go into a park and I was like, oh, look, it was locked up. And I mean, I have a problem and I'm pretty sure I complained about it before just with parks closing generally. Like uh-huh. I really hate when parks close, like back in the States uh, yeah. where we're from in Long Beach, like I would always go walking in parks at night and they would close at 10 p.m. And then cops would always stop me because I'm walking in the park and I'm like, I'm trying to walk in the park. There are lights. It's a normal place to walk. Right. It's the only way to get from my neighborhood to this other neighborhood. Why don't you leave me alone and let me walk in the park? It's not an outrageous thing to do. Yeah, and it's it's like an open space. It is, yeah, exactly. Like, I just don't, like, why, why are you closing an open space? I mean, I guess I understand. They were like, oh, get out of here, drug addicts or somebody sure. shady who wants to hang out in the park. Or maybe it's just because, you know, people hate homeless people and they're just like, no, no homeless people can sleep in this open I, I public think that's space. probably part of it. But I think most of it's just... Cops have nothing to do in the middle of the night, and That's they get fair. spread out throughout the city. And then, you know, if they see somebody walking around in the middle of the night, they want to bother them. Why don't they just you take know, a nap? Like, no one's bothering them. They're in the park. I do all sometimes night. think they take a nap because they often park their car in the middle of the park, right? <laughs> and they turn off the lights completely. They turn off the lights, and I walk by it, and I'm like, "Oh no!" When I was with you, when I was visiting, yeah. We were sitting on a bench, and they went into the park, and they turned off their lights, and they were just sitting there for a surprisingly long time. And it's like, are they taking a nap? Like, who knows? I'm almost positive they saw us, too, and they just didn't care. They were like, "This, we're not here to bother anyone. We're here to take a break. Yeah. They were there for a good, like, half hour, maybe. It's a while, yeah. No sort of movement or anything. Yeah. Those, those guys were. But I have been questioned in parks back home dozens of times yeah. by the police after 10 p.m. walking through a park which annoys me so I, I hate that but here they have little fences around most of the parks and they lock them up at night and so you can't really get in i mean this isn't necessarily true for you in ireland but you know as a taxpayer you pay for the park you should have a right to it whenever you feel yeah i just think it does a disservice to the community like i think walling off parks from the community around them is not great. Like, it's very nice to have it kind of be like this communal mm-hmm. green space that everyone can go in and use all of the time. Like, putting fences and entrances makes it not as nice. Right. And then locking it up makes it outrageously frustrating. Yeah. John just wants to be able to walk illegally through parks without bothering anyone. Yeah, man. Just leave me in my parks. Especially yeah. when it's daylight for another hour. Like, that seems just insane to Yeah. Me. I mean, if you're going to lock the gate, at least lock it after it gets dark. Yeah. And, I mean, the parks here, during the winter, they close so much earlier. They close at, like, 5 or 6. And, I mean, it makes sense because the days get really short. Uh-huh. When you're this far north, days get really short in the winter. They get very long in summer. And so... During the winter, they close it at dark when the days are really short, which also bothered me because I'm like, the park's not open until, like, it's basically not open. Like, it's only open during business hours. Like, it's it's just, it's really dumb to me. Like a nine to five. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Because the days get really, really short. And so, sure, I guess. But right. I fully believe that you can redesign your parks so that they can just be used and so that you don't have to worry about them being terrible places to be at night like i don't know anyway Mm -hmm. that's just something i've been annoyed by of late so there we go parks are terrible because they're closed early parks are great 
closing them early diminishes their greatness. Right. It makes them terrible. You want things to be better? Government? Stop closing the parks. So, John, I know that you want to talk about the second quarter, because that's who you are. You like to talk about things in quarters. So what are the plans? <laughs> what have you been doing, and what's what's phase two of what you've been doing? Yes. So it is April, which means second quarter plans, as you said. Second quarter plans. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's useful to have a long-term plan and then subdivide it so that you can figure out what's actionable and figure out what you're actually going to be doing in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. And I know we're several weeks late on actually discussing this, but it's it's still useful. And one of the things that I'm trying to do for this coming quarter is to get back to developing, I guess, to, to working on my personal growth. Because during the first quarter, I kind of like I there were several things that I was working on, right? I was working on trying to cook once a week, a new recipe to expand my ability. How'd that go? It went really well, actually. I didn't do it every week, but I did it most weeks. And there were definitely weeks where I did it more than once. Like this week, I cooked dinner twice. Nice. Congratulations. And I'm substantially more competent and capable in the kitchen than I was at the beginning. And I mean, I think it's always useful to take this sort of approach where you decide that you want to improve in a certain area. And then you lay out how you're going to go about doing that in the coming months. And so I did that. I worked a lot on developing my animating skills and my illustration skills over the last few months. And so I was doing well with some of those things. But as I was doing some of that stuff, I was kind of falling off with some other things. I Uh was falling off a bit with how often I was reading and how much I was reading. I fell off considerably over the first first quarter with my Spanish and really Uh in the fourth quarter with my Spanish as well. And just language study and all of that, I was falling off in a number of areas. And so in the second quarter, I want to redouble my efforts to get back kind of on track with all of those sorts of things. Okay. And I also want to get much more regular and up my production of videos. Like I've created Uh, two on YouTube. Go visit my YouTube channel, watch them guys. They're good stuff. I thought you were talking about using the bathroom, but no, it makes more sense. What? (laughs) It was a joke because you're like, I'm trying to get more regular. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get yeah. that at all. Yeah. Yeah. So videos. Yeah. So I have the goal in the coming months to produce three a month, which we'll see Ooh. if I actually can manage that. That's pretty lofty. Yeah, it is a little bit, but I think it's definitely possible. Okay, I support you. I believe in you. Thanks. And so that's that's one of my big things i've reorganized my whole book list so getting my reading back on track for the year and tearing through some of the things that i want to develop with and just like generally continuing to refine my working process and like how i put things together how we put together these shows how i put together other things that i do that will be a thing that i want to continue to work on what about you mike what are you looking to work on in the second quarter like do you make a second quarter plan is that a part of your year no but okay. <laughs> by, I don't know, scheduling, luck, timing, I don't, I don't know what the word is. Since I've started this job, I've been there for about mm-hmm. six months-ish now. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first couple of months weren't really very hectic. They were pretty laid back. I was still kind of learning the ropes, and it wasn't really affecting my regular schedule okay. until around January, February. Sure. So I've had this whole four months, so, you know, about like a quarter <laughs> of the year. To mm-hmm. realize that 
some things have been negatively impacted and that I see that there's things that I have to work on that I didn't realize I was having so much trouble with until okay. the job became like an actual job and then I had to really apply myself and focus ah, on sure, things. Ah, sure, sure, sure. And so I was just kind of forgetting the things I was doing before then. So like one of the major things was like managing my time more responsibly, mm. making sure that when I schedule things to make those appointments. If I'm going to do something with someone or agree to do something at, at a certain day, actually follow through. Yeah, yeah. That is an important thing to get to the point where when you commit to something, you do it. You know, right. I, I definitely, I'm definitely with you. Yeah. And I mean, I, you, you have such a busy schedule, like between your school work, your yeah. job, and, see, and, that's and this, another thing. and your girlfriend. Yeah. And that's another thing where I was struggling was with school because generally I had a more flexible schedule with my previous job. Which sure. allowed my school scheduling and even just like finding time to study or writing an essay or something. It made it so much easier. Now I have to like create blocks of time. And so the beginning of the semester was not going great because I was still in the same sort of mentality with that flexibility okay. I had that I no longer had. And so I had to just approach it so much more differently than I'd been used to. Yeah. And so I'm still struggling with just trying to get that down yeah it's it's not an easy thing to integrate like it definitely takes months to adjust mm -hmm. to that sort of thing and right. to get used to scheduling things regularly and really organizing yourself right and on top of that it negatively affects things that i would do in my spare time which i don't have as much of now which would mm. be reading writing even playing pool you know some like just like a hobby a skill i guess i was developing like i don't even yeah. do that as regularly as i used to so this second quarter, even though I don't necessarily break things down in quarters, the way it's mm -hmm. moving forward with the semester, you know, not being much longer, I think it's going to end in like the next two months, more or less. Just to be clear about why I think it's so valuable to break things down into quarters, uh -huh. it's useful to have a marker that kind of sends you a signal to say, hey, look back the last three months and see what went well, what didn't go well, what is a problem today that you didn't think would be a problem and how you can adjust. And like this sort of thing where you're just being overtaken with how much you have to do and how difficult it is to juggle all of that stuff. Like it's not the sort of thing you would have necessarily thought about six months ago and really looking at your life and saying, a lot of the things that I care about are kind of falling off track because I'm not organized enough to do all of the things that I have to do and do these things that I want to do. Like you might have enough time to do it all, but right. if you waste time and you're not organized, then it's hard to get it all in. Yeah. And it becomes really obvious when I, you know, actually look at my schedule because mm -hmm. I'm not really like a calendar person, but <laughs> you will be. Yeah. Will be. I mean, I have to be. And that's something I'm like learning this month because before I was, it was very easy for me to manage dates and plans. Mm -hmm. And now it's just increasingly more difficult with every passing month. So this is something I'm going to be looking at now because I see where I'm struggling. Okay. And now I know where I can make improvements. And from there, I'm just going to try to figure out how to make those improvements. So by the time, you know, July rolls around, I should have a better grasp on. Just how to deal with all these things. Yeah. yeah. Managing my time is probably the most important thing, especially yeah. because that's the thing that's been hindering me the most. And like I see it and it's been bugging me a lot. I could definitely understand how it would bug you. Yeah, like I've I've faced annoyance with that sort of thing before. And I think it's something that everyone runs into a wall with at some point. Like if you're less busy, it's less of an issue. But 
figuring out how you want to spend your time and figuring out in any given moment, Mm -hmm. what should I be focusing on? Like that is something that actually takes a little bit of thinking Mm -hmm. because when you start to eliminate the things that, that you really don't care about, that you really don't like doing, and you start to focus more time on more productive tasks and things that you really want to do, mm-hmm. like it improves things so dramatically, but you have to really think about like, what am I doing right now? What should I be doing? How do I direct myself? And that is a kind of a muscle that you have to work for a long time. It is, it is very much a skill that you have to practice and develop. And I know with some of these things, like with me, punctuality was a big issue for a long, long time. It's less right. of an issue now, but it was a huge issue for me for a I long time. I want to believe that's true. Well, you want to believe that it's not as big of an issue now? Well, yeah, like it's not. It's not. I'm much, much better at it than I was. I mean, I'm sure you are. I'm just giving you a hard time there, John. Like, and I mean, it wouldn't be hard to be much better than I was because I was really bad. Oh, terrible. But part of that whole punctuality thing was getting to where I'm focused on the things that I want to be focused on at any given moment, right? So if I need to be somewhere at five and I'm on a call with somebody and I know it'll take me 30 minutes to get there, I need to be done by 4.30. And like being aware of when I need to be done in order to get to where I need to go to be focused on that next thing that I need to do, like that is Uh part of this thinking that I'm talking about where like my punctuality essentially was really bad because I didn't manage my time and didn't manage my focus as well as I should have. Right. And you get all of these nice beneficial side effects you know, it's, it's, it definitely helps. And all of this is just putting your life kind of on the right path, I guess, or not really the right path, but on the right footing Mm -hmm. and like organizing it in such a way that you can do the things that you actually want to do. Yeah. So it's it's good. It's Mm -hmm. useful. And then I recently started going to the gym as well. So that's just like another extra fun thing. I feel like every couple of months you say, I recently started going to the gym. No, I mean, remember I drunkenly bought a gym membership. Oh, yeah, your drunken gym membership. Yeah, right. well, what? I'm utilizing it, and I've been utilizing it since I purchased it. Nice, that's that's good. But see, this is where the time management thing's been kicking my butt the last two weeks. I've only gone once, twice, mm. once or twice. The point is, especially in the last month, it's been affecting me, like, just being overwhelmed with everything. But yeah, just, like, a month ago, it was fine. I was going, like, three times. You know, it wasn't affecting, like, my schoolwork so much or my school schedule, and, you know, I was still able to do everything that i did generally but yeah now it's just i don't know what's happening but april has not been kind to me well and something i'm not sure i ever mentioned this before but something that i've started doing and i only really started doing this in the last i i guess the first time i really did it was the start of the year mm-hmm. but i don't know how regular your schedule is but something that i've started doing for my quarterly reviews is i will write out an ideal weekly schedule Mm-hmm. And it's not a schedule that I necessarily try to follow. It's not something that I try to do every week or something like that. But I write out this ideal schedule because, like, let's say you have the gym membership, you want to go twice a week or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If you want to go twice a week, then you like schedule into this ideal schedule two different times of two hours or what have you to get to the gym, work out, and get home or whatever. Right. And as you write out the schedule, like I schedule all of my time, like when am I sleeping? When am I doing anything? And it's just an exercise to go through and say, if I want to read an hour a day and I want to go Mm -hmm. to the gym a couple times a week and I want to do all this stuff, like how much spare time do I have? When can I fit these things in? If I know when my work schedule is, I know when my classes are, like when can I fit these other things in? And that way, as you're going through the course of the week, 
you just have already thought through like, ah, it's Thursday. I know I have this gap in the afternoon after my classes, so I should go to the gym this time. I can't just like sit home and waste that time because I know that that's the only time during the week when I can go work out. So I have to use it. It makes it much more urgent rather than being like, oh, I can just go do this stuff whenever over the course of the next week. Right. It's like the only time that I really have available because I've looked at my schedule and I've thought through what time during the week I have. The only time I have is this Thursday. So, I mean, generally that's what I I do, but I don't know. I think I've also been losing a bit of focus. That's been affecting my time management. So that's another thing I'm looking at improving, Hmm. remembering (laughs) what things are more important, focusing on those things that I've committed to and, that are obviously more important yeah yeah that's definitely important to remember that sort of stuff yeah okay cool Mm -hmm. well i'm eager to hear how this all goes over the next few months i do think and not that we are going to settle on this and i know i haven't talked to you about this but Uh i do think that something we should think about doing in the the coming months is Uh think about a skill that we both want to develop or something like that something we both want to work on Uh that we can work on together because i think really focusing on skill development all the time is something that's beneficial focusing on learning all the time is beneficial as we talked Uh about in previous episodes and learning something together could be super valuable and so Uh you know think about anything you might want to do i have no idea what i might want to learn with you any if any listeners have any suggestions please let us know uh oh yeah tie knots actually wouldn't be a bad one i know you're bringing it up sarcastically but no i just that like you know, that'd be fun, like a weird little niche thing. Yeah, I mean, I have come across so many situations where I'm like, God, I wish I knew all of those Boy Scout knots that they learn how to tie. See? Learning how to tie a slip knot and all of those other knots can actually come in handy if you're trying to, you know, strap bags onto a car or, I don't know, anything yeah. else that you're doing. That's true. Yeah. But I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a high priority for me. But Yeah, well, not for me either. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I think I will be ruminating on it, and we might come back in a week or two with a, a skill that we're going to work on. I know you're already hectically busy, but you know, eh. 10, 15 minutes a day to work on something wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world. You know, they say, sleep when you're dead. I'll just stick with that motto nice. from now until, until my schedule <laughs> <laughs> improves, and then I'll sleep when I'm alive. John? Mm-hmm. I know you want to talk about something else. I can't remember for the life of me. I'm just going to pretend like these notes aren't in front of my face. So why don't you remind me? Yeah. So I currently am working on a video that touches on private property and some of the core components of capitalism. And something that I've come across repeatedly in my research for this video is issues with property rights. And one of the most interesting aspects of it that I've really been thinking about is this growing conflict between intellectual property rights and kind of more traditional, tangible property rights. So let me just define a couple of things to start to make this simpler, okay? okay. So in, intellectual property rights are anything that's not real. You can't touch it, right? So copyright, right. patents, trademarks, those are mm-hmm. kind of the three big yeah. areas. Just ideas, yeah, yeah, ideas essentially. Ideas and information. Mm-hmm. So I so Coca-Cola is a trademark right. and if I write a song, I can copyright it. Mm-hmm. And if I invent something, I can patent it. Yes, all true. Yeah, and and tangible property rights are like I bought this house, I own it. I can do whatever I want with this house or I bought this car or what have you. Right, right. So those are pretty straightforward. 
Mm-hmm. And traditionally, there's never been any sort of problem with them. Like a lot of people have argued about intellectual property rights because they've been gradually strengthened and expanded over the last 150 years. Right. Just repeatedly expanded. Some people have argued that that's not a good thing, but it's kind of not a big issue. But something that has been increasingly problematic in the last, I'm going to say, 15 years, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe 20 years, is that intellectual property rights have started to come into conflict with kind of those more traditional tangible property rights Uh and something that i am struggling to grapple with and i don't know where it will go but essentially the way that most people seem to interact with this problem Uh is things like with their phones okay where apple for instance Mm -hmm. controls iphone software right right software is kind of the core kernel of this problem Mm-hmm. And because Apple controls the software, when they send out an update that essentially you have to take as an iPhone user, mm-hmm. we got into this whole issue in the last year of them throttling performance, right? Mm-hmm. Supposedly, older iPhones had their batteries degraded, and so they reduced the performance so that it wouldn't use as much battery life for those right. older phones. But that essentially made them worse phones in every way. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people were talking about they forced people to have worse phones so that they would go out and buy new phones. Right, of course. And Apple defends their rights with these sorts of things because they own and control the software. Mm -hmm. But it's suddenly a very difficult thing because you can't necessarily do stuff with the thing that you own. Or what I should say is somebody else owns and controls aspects of something that you own. So your clear property rights around this thing that you bought become much more ambiguous. And Uh something that is much less apparent to a lot of people, but I think is a much more dire aspect of this, is something that's going on in agriculture. Ooh, okay. Now, there are two sides of this in agriculture. And the first one, and the more kind of ambiguous one, I guess, in my mind, Uh is an issue with John Deere and their tractors, right? And this is essentially that John Deere has all of the software and mm-hmm. controls and things in their new high-tech, super advanced tractors, right? Okay. And they're kind of offering stuff for these tractors as a service, right? So they're trying to offer the software as a service. And this is an increasing thing within the software industry that people are trying to create subscriptions. You see Microsoft and Adobe and everyone moving Mm -hmm. to subscription models so that they can continue to update software, right? Right. Because it's a better model for the software creators, but it's also somewhat of a better model for the users in a lot of senses because they Uh get continually updated and improved software. They don't Uh have to go out and buy a new package or something like that. And it's better to get a patch every month than it is to not have your software improved for two years and then buy a new package so a lot of people have been moving to this but when you look at something like john deere if you buy a tractor okay and then you don't want to continue to subscribe to their services or even more problematically with john deere if you buy a tractor and then you want to take it to be serviced at a non-john deere garage or right tractor repair shop Mm -hmm. then they will essentially shut down your tractor they will stop your tractor from being functional huh And there's been this huge suit in the middle of the country around this because it's seen as predatory toward the non-John Deere garages and it's been seen as predatory toward farmers and farmers have been declaring it as a violation of their property rights because you really do see this thing where if you bought something 
Right. You should not really be able to be told how to use it. That's fair. I would be inclined to agree with that. Right. But it's difficult when you start to look at software because if like the company owns this proprietary software, they're giving you a license to use it. But they're not giving you a license to necessarily alter it or like those usage rights could be extremely limited. And so there's this really difficult tug of war between can they shut down your your tractor? Because your tractor can only run with the software, right? Especially with automated tractors and things like that. And can they shut it down if you stop paying for their software? Can they essentially turn your thing into a pointless brick if you stop paying for this additional software? Or do you have some sort of built-in right because you bought the actual thing to continue to be able to use it? Well, I mean, if you buy the instrument or the tool or what have you, so in this case, tractor. Yeah. I think ultimately you're buying the tractor to use the tractor. Software helps the tractor run. Mm-hmm. That is a tough one. I was, I was going somewhere with there, and then as I started talking about it, I was like, huh. I guess if you agree to it, you buy the tractor with the understanding that if you no longer use the software, the tractor becomes inoperable. Like It becomes a little complicated, right? Yeah, I mean, they should have like maybe like a second option where they could take it to some manufacturer or something and just have it converted to like a manual tractor and then they, you know, handle it themselves. Or- well, and this is this is exactly the battle that was going on where essentially these farmers were trying to take them to these other shops and these other shops had come up with kind of bootleg diagnostics so they could, I, I don't remember all the details around it, but right. essentially they could do what John Deere was trying to get charged to do, right? right. These other shops could figure out how to do it with other software or whatever. Uh-huh. But then John Deere was reacting badly to this because it was supposedly illegal and bootlegged and what have you. And so then they were trying to shut people down. And mm. it, it's difficult because it's difficult to separate with cool. something like to go back to phones for a second. Uh-huh. Like if you think about something like a smartphone, mm-hmm. it is essentially completely useless without the software. Right? right. Like just imagine Apple sold you the phone mm-hmm. and they're like, OK, we're charging you $500 or something for the phone. But then we're also going to charge you $50 a month for the software. And so essentially what you end up with is you have to pay this monthly charge for the software or else the phone that you bought is completely useless. So even taking that into account, there's still an agreement that the phone is yours, right? The hardware is yours to use. Right. But if you can't use the hardware with any other software, then the hardware is useless if you don't pay for that software. Right. But if you do find like a loophole, a way around it, I don't know, by changing the software or altering the hardware in a way that allows you to use it, it's still your hardware. It's, if you altered it, you altered it. Like, it's still yours. Right. And with simpler things, I think that that applies, right? Like, if you're talking about a bicycle or something like that, and you're like, oh, I'm going to put on a different seat. No, I understand There's no mechanical that. way in which they can stop you from doing that. But when you're talking about technical, like extraordinarily advanced systems, like this right. tractor won't work with other software. I mean, I understand that, but if people found a way around it. Well, right. But this is the whole question. Like when you buy this good that has the software and that can only work with the software, do you in some way have a right to access to the software to at least use the older version of the software? Maybe you don't get it continually updated or something, but like... Does that somehow provide you this enduring right? Because you have a right to use this thing that you bought and it cannot function as designed without this aspect of it, right? It's, it's, you know what? I, I, think, I think you should be, even if it means using an older version of the software that still meets your needs and maybe you don't need to 
update it and maybe the company has decided they don't want to charge for that older version because the newer version is the thing they're getting their money from. You agree to use it with their software. I mean, I don't know if that necessarily means that you agree to use it with the most current version of the software. And I'm sure they probably have language somewhere in the agreement that they want you to use the latest version. Well, sure. And contracts are always the kind of superseding aspect of this that complicates the whole thing. But ultimately, if you agree to it and what you need is satisfied by an older version that might not necessarily be monetized the way a newer version is, then I think you should be entitled to be able to use the hardware with whatever version works best for you, even if you don't pay a monthly fee for it. Right, but this is the exact problem with, as software is being offered as a service, that like if I buy the Adobe Cloud right now for photo editing software or what have you, Mm -hmm. I lose access to that if I stop paying. I'm only buying the subscription. I don't own any of it, right? Right. And so... Like with this sort of thing, if the first version that you buy with the tractor is already a subscription model, then you don't have enduring well, rights to use. And that that just I, I think it I think it makes it extremely complicated. And I don't have a good answer for how this all works, but I think that we're starting to get to the point where intellectual property rights are a bit too strong with these right. things mm-hmm. and it's gonna be problematic in the future. I mean- I, I At think. that point, shouldn't there be some kind of like consumer protection? Well, and this is one of the things that people are arguing about right now. I mean, obviously, the farm lobby is a very strong lobby. Right. And they've already, in previous years, made adjustments for, or legal loopholes, I guess, for cars that have dealt with this, because cars have a lot of software that's involved and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they've made adjustments to where people can alter things with their cars without it causing this sort of problem. Right. People can go to other kinds of shops without it causing these sorts of problems Uh in terms of like the diagnostic software not working or something like that. Right. And so it's very likely that with tractors, it might have actually already happened. I haven't been tracking it too closely in recent weeks, but... Well, it's also just, it seems, I guess, predatory was the word that you used. No, it does. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, you're making, and not all farmers have the same amount of resources, but if you're investing what i imagine is a, a lot of money into the hardware because that's what you need yeah these tractors could be 100 grand right and then on top of that they want to charge you whatever amount they feel is fair to charge you every month for the software yeah. to run the tractor that you invested into when maybe that like difference you know will bankrupt you or make yeah. it almost like a negligible like purchase like you'll be losing money every month instead of just... it also gives them a huge amount of power because they can change prices at any time right like, right yeah so let's say you buy a tractor that you're planning on using for the next 20 years mm-hmm. and then two years later they double the price of their monthly service right right um, or even more dangerously what if they stop supporting it like that's mm-hmm. unlikely with such big investments as right tractors but like think about if John Deere went out of business. Suddenly, like who supports the software now? The software right. is completely useless, and you see this all the time with computers and computer uh-huh. software that old apps and things just stop getting supported, and then they just degrade or they become dangerous or right. what have you. And this is one of the arguments for software as a service, right? That you uh-huh. need a subscription model in order to make software businesses more sustainable. But these sorts of questions will become increasingly important. And as we were talking about last week or the week before with automated vehicles who knows how this works like 
if you buy an automated vehicle, obviously it is completely inoperable without the software. Like, right. You can't drive it. <laughs> like it has to That's be driven true. with the software. And so it's like, if they can shut that down, like, and, and this is why it's so complicated because you have this hardware and software component. And if you're charging for both and you're charging separately, either you have to have a subscription model for the entire thing, or it gets but very complicated. I think with that argument that, you know, a subscription based model will help software based companies or whatever. Yeah. Wouldn't it just depend on what you're using the software for? Like with Microsoft and Adobe and things like that, it makes sense, right? It's just it's a service. If you need it, you'll just pay the monthly fee for it, right? Yeah. Because you could get a computer without those things and the computer still works. Like Sure. Right. I mean, but like that's with Microsoft Office, but you can't like buy a Microsoft computer right. that has Windows and not have Windows work, right? Like it needs Windows. Right. I mean, I guess technically you'd use Linux, but. <laughs> My point is that, like, see, ultimately you still have options. Sure. But it's essentially right. useless without, like, all of the other applications you might have purchased, everything else on the computer will be useless without mm-hmm. the Windows operating system. I just think ultimately with something like tractors, as you're mentioning. Hmm. It's like you need the tracker. Yeah. And there should at the very least be an option, whether it makes it a little more expensive or a little less expensive, where you can manually configure the, the tractor that doesn't require the software. If that's well, something this, that they might ultimately can't afford. But you know, that becomes very difficult when you have automated tractors. Like when you think about like combines or tractors that are completely automatically driven, right? They're not driven by people and things like that. That's not going to be able to be manual. Like, I'm not sure manual is the necessarily the, the kind of option. I think perhaps the kind of thing like an operating system, like as we were just talking about with Windows or the iPhone with, you know, iOS, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. having that sort of thing where the operating system has to be part of the initial purchase price and then it's just maintained forever. Like, you can't not right. have the operating system. But then they can mm-hmm. provide additional services on top of that. But the operating system has to work and you have to be able to use that in any kind of system mm. or with yeah. any kind of diagnostics you want. Something something to that range. But that's such a small, narrow kind of fix that doesn't address the broader issue of where the borders of property rights are mm. and what you're buying when you're actually buying something. And this oh. actually brings me to the, I think, less justifiable thing, the thing that people should be more outraged by Uh which is stuff with monsanto and i know monsanto is kind of highly wild (laughs) yes controversial um (laughs) let's just go with that okay yes very controversial gotcha but (laughs) one of the big businesses for monsanto is they Uh have weed killers or you know herbicides and then they've genetically engineered certain seeds for certain crops that are resistant to these herbicides and they sell these seeds to farmers mm-hmm. all of that makes sense that's fine right but one of the things that is harder to figure out and harder to justify with this is that they've got patents on those genetically modified organisms mm-hmm which means that nobody can copy them, right? So that means no other company can manufacture those organisms or those seeds. But it also means that farmers cannot reuse those seeds. So what has happened is farmers will buy seeds from Monsanto. They will Uh plant the crops. And as a farmer would normally do, they would take some of the seeds from the new plants that grew and replant them. But Monsanto has sued them and claimed that because they own the copyrights, or sorry, they own the patents on these seeds that the farmers cannot plant the seeds from the plants that they just grew. 
But that just seems that seems irresponsible. If you didn't want them to use the seeds from the vegetation that they grew, yeah. or the seeds that you originally sold them, why would you not modify them so that the fruit or whatever that was produced didn't have seeds in them? Because well, they grow like watermelons that are seedless, and I'm sure they can do that with other. That other applies things. for fruit, but I don't think that applies for grains like corn. What we eat is the seeds in corn, right? Mm, that's true. That's fair. Sorry, I was just thinking about it in like the context of fruit. Yeah, if you were doing apples or oranges or watermelons, like you're right, right. that would that would make sense as kind of their yeah. automatic solution. But, I guess, I mean, um, but the other thing with those with fruit is that you don't replant them, right? Like if you have an apple tree, it grows apples every year, and you don't mm, buy seeds for it every true. year. Fair. That's um, also true. And actually, like if you're talking about a certain brand of apple, like if you're talking about I don't know, Red Delicious. Like Red Delicious, all of the treats from Red Delicious, I believe, are genetically identical. Like they're mm-hmm. all made from a cutting of the same right. tree. Right. And so there's no seeds involved in growing any of them. And there haven't been for a very long time. Like something that's actually interesting about this, and I know it's a bit of a side note, uh-huh. but essentially all bananas are genetically identical. They're all made mm-hmm. from the same tree. <laughs> something that actually happened, I think, almost a century ago. It was in the early 1900s was there was actually a different kind of banana. Mm-hmm. that was used and then there was some banana disease that wiped out basically all of the bananas around the world in production because wow. all of them were genetically identical right because they were all made from the same cutting uh-huh. of the same tree that happened to have very tasty bananas right so a lot of people kind of scrounged around the tropics to try to find a replacement they eventually found a replacement and now again today all bananas are genetically identical. A lot of people mm. talk about this adds a lot of fragility to the food system and things like that. But this is very common with fruit because a right. lot of fruit, like the fruit actually changes in shape and coloring and taste kind of randomly based upon the tree that birthed it. Right. But if you cut from the same tree, you get very consistent fruit. But anyway. You know, it ulti- I think this again ultimately comes down to what the consumer and the company agreed to. So they agreed to purchase the seeds this one time and not reuse whatever you know they grew. But they don't have an option. They don't have an option in terms of agreeing to it because the government has granted them a patent, right? Uh-huh. So you see this with other things too. Like the seeds is the biggest, largest scale aspect of this. But I was talking to someone that I know in Ireland who was educated around plant life and works with plants. And he was talking about how a lot of genetically modified flowers and things have been patented. And Uh so if you buy this certain flower, you can't plant it and grow more of them and then like resell them or anything like that. You have to buy more of them from the people because they have a patent. They're the only people who are legally allowed to grow these things. Mm -hmm. And the question is not so much what is agreed upon between the person buying this flower and the person selling it. Traditionally, if you bought a flower from someone, you could obviously plant it. Traditionally, if you bought food from someone, like if I bought a potato from a grocery store, I don't need to ask the grocery store if I could plant it. I can just do whatever I want with this thing that I bought. That's the traditional view on property rights. And the question is, should people be able to patent and own genetic code? Should people, and this goes toward genetic engineering and the stuff that we were talking about in all, mm-hmm. all of our episodes, right? Where, like, should people be able to patent these things? Should people be able to control this sort of information? Because it's very different from the kind of thing that you're dealing with, like, if you're writing a book or writing a song or something that is right. in some way unique and in some way creative. And no one's ever going to make the same poem as the poem I wrote. Like, that's right. if they're copying it, they're really 
like it, it, they're not adding any value, but it's a very different thing when you're saying I can right. own this genetic code of a plant. It just doesn't sound very legit. I agree. I agree. I mean, when they sell the seeds, they know what purpose they're being sold for. Sure. To grow and sell. And so why wouldn't they use the seeds from what they grew to keep growing and selling? You know what they're used for. It's ridiculous to sell something to someone knowing what they're going to do with it, which is grow it and sell it. And then tell them, well, you can't use the seeds from the thing that I sold you to grow and sell to grow and sell it. Well, but those are two very different functions, right? One is growing corn and then selling the corn. Another is growing corn to take seeds from the corn to replant the corn. Growing and selling is very different from growing and replanting. Those are two very different things. I agree with you. There's something in it that just feels very wrong. And that's what I'm trying to get at. That's what I'm trying to figure out because... It does seem like you're limiting the rights of the person who bought this thing from you. And when you buy something, you have the rights to use it however you want. Mm -hmm. And this is the part that I'm struggling with. But take it back to the software side of things, right? If I buy software from Apple and I say I'm going to sell this software, I can only sell that one copy. I can't make a thousand copies and sell all of them. I don't have that right because they own the intellectual rights to copy this. Now, if you look at it from the perspective of the plants, it's a similar sort of thing. If I own that, I own replication rights. You cannot replicate this without my permission. And I know that it's extending it beyond kind of where we would normally think about it, but this Uh is exactly the issue. Right. They have essentially won this fight Uh and we need to think about if we're going to limit this which I think we should. I, I completely agree with you. What is the legal justification? Like, how do we think about this so that we can limit this in a consistent and, and reasonably enforceable way? You know what I mean? I don't know. Because I was just thinking about it the way you were discussing it. If someone sold you a fruit or a plant or something and you planted it and it grew and it produced seeds and then the seeds fell and more grew, like, that's, mm-hmm. just, that's just like a natural consequence of owning the thing. Yeah. In that same regard, when you're selling seeds to someone, they plant the seeds, the seeds grow into whatever they planted, and that thing produces seeds, and they fall and they grow and they produce more of the same thing. That's just like a natural consequence of selling something that does that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Now, whether or not the farmer goes out of his way to pull the seeds and plant them, I think is irrelevant. What if instead of replanting, he now sells these seeds to other farmers? Hmm, that's interesting. I think even there, if you had a mutual understanding that what you were doing was selling the product of the seeds right. and not the seeds themselves, then I could see how planting the seeds, growing whatever it was that you were growing, taking the seeds from what grew, and then selling the seeds would be a violation of the agreement. Sure. With intellectual property, the issue is you can't duplicate it, right? So if I buy a book, I can resell that book. I have that right because I bought it. If I buy a movie, I can resell it, but I can't copy it. That's the whole thing with Napster, right? Like Napster allowed people to freely share music and make digital copies and spread them. But like that was illegal because you can't copy and sell. You can't copy and give away. You can't copy something that is owned by somebody else. You can resell the thing that you own. So if you buy a song on a CD or something, you can resell that CD, but you can't make 10 copies of that CD and give it to your friends. Now, from a practical standpoint, no government 
police officer or something is going to come in and arrest you for making a couple copies of a CD to like give to some of your friends, right? Like as a practical matter, that's not going to be an issue. But what matters is whether or not it should be legal to do that. And with intellectual property, you can't copy, like the whole thing is replication. You can't replicate it. It's not allowed. And with the seeds, if you're planting and then replanting and then replanting, you're replicating it. But planting the seeds, growing the produce produces seeds. It's just naturally replicating. Yes, I know. That's what life is. And this is the this is the crux of the, the difficulty. Because if you own the rights to this genetic code and then it grows, that's only the one copy still. You'll just have that one plant. But then if you take that genetic code and plant it again, you're in some sense replicating it. And it's a natural process, but you are in some sense replicating it. But it and is so, a natural process. I, I think that's like the thing, which taking away too long to try to explain but it still is a natural process if they replicate it themselves like i don't think that should be allowed it's not like you're illegally making new seeds the seeds are there by themselves i i suppose right they're like well you can't replicate the seeds well the seeds are already there that's just natural consequence you're not doing anything illegal by doing exactly what you agreed to do with the seeds which was plant them and grow them i mean it's not like you force the seeds to grow on the plants or the produce, like you're not doing anything illegal. I don't know. It's already being replicated. You're not replicating it. It's already replicated. Like that just happened. But there is replication going on. And I think that's the point. But it's happening from the plants themselves. I don't know. Right. But it's only happening because the farmer's planting it. I, I don't know. I like, right. I kind of get what the point you're trying to get to, but this is exactly the issue. You have this conflict between this fact that people are not allowed to replicate it in some way in these biological systems, they are being replicated. Like, think about it not from the perspective of these seeds, think about it from the flowers that I was talking about. If you grow flowers, you're not allowed to regrow that same breed of flowers or that same variety of flowers. That's a different kind of thing. You're not allowed to regrow more of those. You're not allowed to create more of these plants. You can only buy these plants from these people. You can't take the seeds or what have you from those plants and replant them. But I mean, generally, people buy flowers that are cut from the stem. I I don't know if you can regrow those. or. I'm talking about buying flowers to be planted. Like if you buy a plant to put in your garden, right? So the whole thing is you can't grow more of these. You can't take the seeds from those and replant them. You can only buy this plant as it is. Now, this is slightly different from seeds because it's a full-grown thing, and you really are duplicating it by replanting the seeds, right? Right. And the whole thing is that they own this variety of this plant. So if you're replanting it, then you're causing mm. problems, right? Like you're taking their intellectual right. property. Uh, and this is where it's uh, it's hard because... Like you want to spur people to create new varieties of cool plants. You want to spur people to create these new advanced genetically modified organisms Uh because they're useful in a lot of ways. And we can have a whole argument about whether or not GMO foods are good or not, but certainly with flowers and things that are just there to be attractive, it's easily arguable that it's fine. You want people to make these things that are good for society in a certain respect. Mm. And so you want to allow them to protect this thing that they're investing a lot to make. Like if you're genetically modifying an organism, that's a really expensive process. Right. And if you say, well, you have no protections, then essentially Monsanto would have created these seeds, sold them, and then they would have never been able to sell them again because farmers would have just duplicated them for the end of time. Mm. And so they need some sort of protection on this intellectual property that they've invested so much money in. They could have sold them for a very ridiculous price. That's true, I guess. If they never could have sold them again, they would have had to sell them for much, much more, but then nobody would have bought them, and it would have just killed 
the whole True. industry, I think. I, I don't know. It, it's it's a very difficult, sticky thing to resolve, but I don't think we're going to come up with it. Yeah, this is this is a hardcore one. I, I don't think we expected it to be. I'm trying to talk about something. You're like, no, Michael, you're stupid. Get it. And I'm like, wait, I don't get it. <laughs> No. It is a sticky thing, like, and it's hard to piece out like what exactly is the problem with it. It's hard to put it into words. It does seem, it does seem off. Yeah, it seems wrong, but it's hard right. to know exactly but, you why. Know, when you put it in context of the plant. Yeah, I think it's a lot less gray. It's like you bought this plant, don't replicate the plant. That makes sense. Yeah. Even if the plant produces seeds, you only bought the plant. That's what you agree to. This is the plant. Don't replicate the plant. Gotcha. Yeah, you're right. It, like taking the right example makes it much easier because then obviously Monsanto can look at that argument with the plant and try to extend it to seeds. And this right. is the exact problem that you have with like copyright and intellectual properties and patents and things where people take something that exists, like what we started talking about with software, and they try to extend it out into other fields. Like software was originally able to be copywritten because of things before it, like books and things like that right and it's right. gradually been extended and extended and extended and this is the exact legal problem where if you can relate it back well enough then it can be extended and right. at a certain point we need to put limits around this i think right and debating about where those are is important yeah, i agree but i still think that the seed and plant create different circumstances yeah, I'm on the fence about this because I do really want people to continue to advance in terms of genetic modification and gen genetic engineering. Like, I think that that's a really important thing going forward. And like removing any protections for anybody that comes up with any kind of advance in that area is going to greatly reduce the incentive to invest. And so I think you need to have some sort of protections for them. But it's difficult because it doesn't feel like you should be able to patent or copyright genetic code like that doesn't seem like it should be possible to copyright an organism like right. say i own the rights to create this like i don't know it, that yeah. seems like a natural or something well it's not unnatural it seems like it's not it seems like it should be governed under a very different theory a very different like logical construct mm. it doesn't seem the same to me it's, it's a very different thing and so it might need some sort of protection but in the same way that trademarks and copyrights are very different like i think any sort of mm. intellectual property rights around genetics and genetically modified things that needs to be a separate category right okay so it shouldn't exactly be a patent yeah it should be some something else right. which i don't quite maybe it should be the sort of thing that has to be licensed that's like required to be licensed because right. there's a whole argument around patents that maybe they should just have a set licensing fee they should uh -huh. be required to have oh you anybody can use this but they have to pay a hundred dollars or something like that right that that is something that sometimes exists and some people have argued should always exist and so maybe with this sort of thing you get some sort of residual benefit from having right. created it but you don't get it forever and you don't get however much you want to charge Right. Or you, you're not able to limit somebody else from producing it. You just get a certain fee. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Or but. maybe like a percentage of the total revenue. Yeah, maybe something. But certainly not patents in the way that they exist today. Agreed. Should we wrap it up? Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. You can find our show notes, as always, at subjectradio.com slash WWOTS slash 019. And please share the show with anybody else that you think yeah. might be interested Everyone, feel free to hit us up if they aren't interested <laughs> please 
yeah feel free to hit us up on twitter and i guess i will talk to you next week mike yeah you certainly will all right man have a good one all right later